Hello and welcome to Careerview Mirror. I'm your host, Joyelle Crawford, and today's special guest is Laura Swanson. She's a passionate independent film documentary filmmaker, activist, and speaker using media and art to connect audiences and create change within her community. With a multifaceted background in the arts and nonprofit initiatives, she's focused on providing platforms for underrepresented issues within our society. Her work is survivor-centered and highlights issues that have largely been misrepresented, uh, silenced, non-inclusive or sensationalized, like sexual assault, domestic violence, human trafficking, and body image. She's recently transitioned from operating a small production company into a 501c3, that's a nonprofit organization, to provide support for independent artists creating initiatives that inspire action and generate sustainable and measurable social change. Welcome, Laura Swanson. Thank you, thanks for having me today. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. I saw you on, this is how I like professionally stalk people. I saw you on a <laughs> Dr. Phil episode and I was so inspired by the work that you did that I just took a chance and reached out to see if you would be on my podcast because your work is so inspiring. How, what experience inspire you into the career that you have right now? You know, I was thinking about this ahead of time as to how can I explain how I got into what I did. Um, I, I came from a background of performing arts. Um, I did gymnastics and dance and coached gymnastics and taught dance and did choreography. Um, and I used to sing and do a lot of acting as well, but <laughs> oh, awesome! <laughs> and, uh, I, I realized that, you know, while I loved doing the performing arts, something was missing. Like I never wanted to actually like produce my own music and I never wanted to try to be a star or anything. And that I was really in love with psychology and, and social awareness issues as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was younger. Um, unfortunately, just like many other people and women experience, I was sexually assaulted when I was when I was young. And I didn't really process that or understand um, entirely what had happened to me until I joined the Michigan sexual assault crisis intervention team and their program at a Michigan State University where I was able to learn more about the topic of sexual violence and domestic violence. And I was actually able to go to the hospital and be an advocate for people that are just coming in right after they had their experience and give them resources and, and help them out. And it made me really process my own experience and acknowledge what had happened to me. Mm -hmm. And it also made me realize that when I used to choreograph my um, dances and stuff, everything revolved around a story, like a story of how I had been, you know, raped or sexually assaulted. And I, I didn't put two and two together that really what gave me passion and meaning was to connect um, through art, um, some sort of story for social justice that would maybe possibly um, grab people's attention or get them to understand what what I had experienced or anybody else had experienced in a different way than just formal education and awareness can. Right. So 
Yeah. So I, I think I just randomly thought, what if I tried documentary filmmaking? I really, I know a lot of survivors mm -hmm. and I want to share their stories. And so I, I just decided to try my hand at documentary filmmaking for the first time. And that's the way that I uh, made my first film every two minutes, which was about sexual assault on college campuses in the United States. And that's how you, you saw me because I, I entered in for a grant to receive money to tour with that film on Big Ten campuses. And um, yeah, ended up on that show. And then I kind of just started taking it from there that I wanted to try to do my creative endeavors with meaning for social justice awareness. And then I wanted to turn it into a nonprofit where I supported other artists that are doing the same thing and figure out how can we make this so that it doesn't, so that it goes beyond awareness. Mm -hmm. How can we turn these products of art that artists are making into educational programs um, for students and, and young individuals to learn about these topics through art? So art into action, it sounds like. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 I really appreciate all of the the steps and the and and the um, the detail and the specifics that you shared with us in your path, because not everyone's path is just kind of like this is what I did. I studied this, and I wanted to go. You know, what were you majoring in in college at the time when you were doing all of this? So I laugh about this because I, I, college was very hard for me. I went to college basically because, you know, you're told to go to college. So I went to college thinking I should go to college, but I was undecided. Mm -hmm. And then I was in music. I switched my major seven different times between, yeah, seven different times. It took me eight years to get through undergrad because I did part-time, then I went full-time in one major and I couldn't decide. I just, there was, then the reason was because there was no path in college that just matched, if you wanna do this, go into this major. So um, at the last year that I was supposed to be in college at Michigan State University, I was in psychology, um, maybe gonna be a therapist and go into social work. But I just felt like, where's my creativity in arts? That's missing. Right. And so at the last minute when I was supposed to graduate, I transitioned for the seventh time into media and information saying, I'm gonna do documentary film and, and see if I can merge those worlds together through media. And, and so I added two years onto my major and that's, that's how I ended up with majoring in media and film studies. That's fantastic. And, and you know, and I really, I, I understand, I, I don't personally understand what you went through, but I empathize with the, the fact that you took your pain and turned it into a passion project, almost a mission statement. Um, how, how did you work through that process? Did, is, there, is there some way that you, you, did you get support for processing this and, and then turning it into a career? Like, how was that transition? Yeah. Honestly, I don't, I don't really understand the transition. I think what was honestly happening is as I was doing the work and the work in documentary film work, and I was representing other people's stories, I think I, that's how I was actually healing and processing it myself was through other people's experiences. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think it just, I, I just woke up one day and I was like, oh, wow, I made a, I made a film and it's, and it's actually doing things and creating impact. And, and I thought maybe this is kind of where I wanted the direction I wanted to keep going. 
And so I've never really had a point where I understood like, this is going to be my career. It's just been, I'm going to try to do what I can to make an impact and follow my passion. And I'm going to be very open-minded about what opportunities come up in front of me and be vigilant to take those opportunities to see if what this kind of career forms into. Wow. I mean, I think that's a really key point, Laura, for our audience to, to understand is that sometimes it's not all laid out. It's not, yeah. it's not a systematic path or process, um, but being open to, to experiencing what comes up um, and, and how it pushes you forward is a, is a key thing when you're building your career. Is there a myth about working in your field of production as well as social justice that you wish you could eliminate? Um, I think they're kind of two, two separate worlds sometimes. And so I think one myth that I, that I get in with the production that I do is um, I think people don't understand what it takes to make a film independently. Mm -hmm. um, I, I get a lot of times people come up to me and are like, why don't you make a film on this? Like, just make a film, like come make a film with me. And I'm like, I, I wish it sounds amazing. I would love to do all of those ideas, but mm -hmm. it's like a five-year process to do it completely independently because you have to research, you have to um, get funding yourself for it. It's not, you're not already in a production company from Netflix or something that has all this money that they can just shove at you with all these parameters and then you go out and produce the work. You have to figure out the scheduling and everything yourself and get people to be committed. And mm -hmm. oftentimes you have to rely on volunteer work too because you're at a way lower budget. Right. Um, and, and so I think I have a lot of people that don't, don't understand that. Um, and, and think that I can just pop out films here and there. Well, and you have your own production company. So you right. should, voila. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. So, um, so in relation to social justice work and advocacy work and, and even, you know, social work in general, I feel like there's this, um, this ideology around it that we even talk about in, in classes that, these people are just that are doing this work are just bleeding hearts and it's it's just normal that they're going to give so much to society and they shouldn't get enough in return like they shouldn't be monetarily compensated um, this is just the nature of the work and they have to deal with that mm -hmm. and I feel like that's very problematic because one, I do feel like this work contributes to society economically mm -hmm. and how we help with um, issues and pave the way for helping with mental health issues, helping people better able to function in society as well and be a part of economic stability within our society. And I also think that that's not fair because people should be able to be rewarded, should be able to be taken care of when they're doing this work and they deserve, you know, to have that um, monetary gain from it and to be able to support themselves and have a work-life balance mm -hmm. just the way that anybody in like the private sector would. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, social work doesn't mean free work. And um, I think when people hear nonprofit, um, they need, it's not that they don't make a profit. It's that they're not putting that money toward, a lot of that money towards the organization, but that organization needs money to function. Um, yes. So it's, 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 I wish they could change that name because that misnomer 
um, like you said, it, it leads people to believe that they, there's no money involved in the work that you're doing. Humanitarianism costs money, just like any yes. other type of work um, that's out there. And I appreciate you dispelling those myths, you know, from a production standpoint and from a nonprofit social justice standpoint. Yes. One of the, uh, one of my favorite questions to ask my guests is uh, about uh, career leadership tips, you know, like any kind of guidance for people looking to follow their passion or um, work through um, situations that may be challenging personally and creating something from it, you know, moving from their, pe their pain to their, to their passion. Uh, what career tips would you give to the younger Laura? Like what advice would you give to the younger Laura as, as she was coming up? I think I judged myself a lot, like we all do. I worried about what other people were going to think and if I was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that there is no right thing. And I think what I look back on now that I've already made a film and now I understand how difficult the process is, sometimes I actually envy the naive Laura that just went for it and started in the beginning mm -hmm. because I was purely doing stuff based on passion. I think when you have a vision, you have a love for something. And that means that you want to go to work to do it consistently. I think that that gives you a level of resilience mm -hmm. that you don't have otherwise if you're not very passionate about your work. And I think it allows you to be accepting of the risks that come with it and make you less fearful of them. Mm -hmm. um, what I always say is people are like, well, aren't you worried about your nonprofit going under and all this stuff? And I'm like, of course, like 90% of nonprofits fail and businesses fail. I say I'm completely open and fine with if what I'm doing is going to fail because what scares me more is being at the end of my life and being like, I didn't go for that. What would have been like if I went for that? And also being in America and being able to have the privilege right now in this status to even attempt to go for the dreams of art and, and follow a passion, I take very seriously. And I think that it's amazing just to even be able to think about what you want to do in your life and be able to go for that as opposed to, I have to do this to feed my family. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm very fortunate and excited and humbled by this opportunity in and of itself. And when it comes to leadership, I think re just resilience mm -hmm. of things are going to go wrong, but mm -hmm. just, you got to cast your net wide enough and you have to take a million chances and understand that you're going to get knows 70% of the time, like with funding or, you know, asking people if they want to invest in this vision or something. The reason why people are saying no doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's a personal attack on you or they don't understand or, or value what you're doing. It has to do with where is their economic position at at this time? What are the grants that they're under that they have to adhere to? There's all these other reasons. Mm -hmm. So don't personalize those mm -hmm. um, the things that happen and just, just keep casting that net wide enough until you find the people that believe in your vision. And then the last thing that I'll say about leadership is I feel like leaders have great vision and that's what inspires people to follow them. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like why people follow is because a good leader 
understands that the vision isn't just their own. The vision um, is, is also everybody else's vision. So when you're talking about that vision, think about your audience, connect with them, get down on an individual level with the people that you want to be a part of the work that you're trying to do and understand their values and their passions and connect the vision that was originally your own to how it's also their vision and aligns with their values and realize that it's all about the people and not just about the leader at the top. Yes. Yes. You know, they always say there's no I in team, but yeah. I, I, I wrote a chapter all about this, you know, about delegation and how you can't do anything without your band. You know, you've got to think about all of the things, you know, and it's just, you can't do this on your own in order to have, to be a great leader, to have somebody follow you, you've got to have a team of people behind you, but you also need to think about ahead. Think about that vision and making sure that you're connected with it. And I love what you said about resilience, about casting that large net and, and hearing all the no's, you know, the no's could mean something else. Don't take those no's personal. You know, I like to say that no means next opportunity, right? So it's, it's so important for us to, to, to hear that and understand that, especially in these, in these businesses of, 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 I want to say the film business. I don't want to say show business because yeah. that's not like what you're in, involved yeah. in. But in filmmaking and in, in uh, the nonprofit world, especially for social justice, um, you are going to get a lot of no's, but to not take that personally. Yes. And then I love the there's no one right thing. There's just no right way to do it. You know, it's just, just got to kind of go with the flow and just follow that passion. Ah, love it. I love all of this. Juicy gems, Laura. Juicy <laughs> gems. Ah, oh, thank you so much for sharing all of your wonderful insights. You know, um, what project are you working on right now um, with your nonprofit organization, which, by the way, I'm going to put some information about um, your nonprofit organization, Creative Embers, in our uh, comments so that other people can learn more. But is there a project that you're currently working on that you could talk about? We actually have several projects we're working on right now. Um, and we're trying to make sure that we grow at a good pace and not take on too many. Mm -hmm. but, but the one that we're specifically focused on right now, more so than the others this year, is our body image project called the Midwest Broken Mirror Project. Mm -hmm. So we are, um, it kind of got crippled by COVID a little bit. So this is the first year that we're kind of coming back to it. But we are interviewing people throughout the Midwest mm -hmm. to um, look at body image through the lens of a multitude of things. So through culture, through mental illness, through trauma, through gender, through sexuality. So we're finding all these different people that have stories that we can really see how body image is a connecting issue. And I feel like everybody has a body image. Everybody has had some sort of struggle with their body. And I think that it opens the doors to other issues. For mm -hmm. instance, just thinking about body image and then thinking about how your culture affects your body image. And there are stereotypes and all these judgments against different cultures. But I feel like once you start looking at it and realizing how it affects someone's body image and stuff, I feel like it it's 
more able to allow people to understand even just that culture in itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so we're doing that and we're creating videos alongside of the photos with the subjects. They kind of decide what they want their photo to look like that represents their story because mm-hmm. we are we're our subject centered. So we want the subjects to have what they want in the photos and not what we feel their photos should look like. Because that defeats the whole purpose of body image, right? You know, exactly. Someone else's exactly. image onto you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're doing that. And then the component of it that we're trying to do as far as like social justice and advocacy work is we want to take those stories and we want to implement them into an interactive educational guide that can be used for um, people 12 years and older that kind of challenges the assumptions that people have surrounding identities that all different kinds of bodies hold and then use our subject stories as a way to point out um, those issues that come up as a result and I think it's just a good way to have people check their internal beliefs Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good way to um, make themselves feel more normalized and better about the body that they're in. Oh, I love it. I love all of this. I'm so excited about the, the, the blossoming of all of the work that you've done and that you continue to do, um, the good work that you continue yeah. to do for, for the world. And so I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing with our audience and sharing with me, I'm selfish, but sharing with me um, my curiosity and how you got into this uh, career that you have. Um, thank you so much, Laura. And I, I, will, I will make sure that I put all of the information, the website uh, to, to creative members, um, your LinkedIn profile, everything that we could possibly put in there so that you can get, also get in touch with Laura as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. And if you like what you saw, subscribe, share with friends, share with family, and uh, we'll see you next time. Take care.